So uh, last week we started with a very famous quote. You guys recognized it right off the bat. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And we're talking about next steps in your walk with God. What is your next step toward God? What is your next step in developing as a Christian, growing as a Christian, becoming more intimate in your relationship with God? It's a wonderful thing that the Bible makes your progress in the Christian life so easy. It talks about your progress, your development, your growth as a Christian. It describes it as walking, taking a step, just walking. So we're going to look at that today. As a matter of fact, Paul said to the church at Ephesus in his letter of Ephesians, that when you walk, uh, chapter 2, verse uh, uh, 1 and 2, that when a person, before they become a follower of Jesus, before they commit their life to Christ, they walk one way. After they commit their life to Christ, they walk a different way. In uh, his letter to the Corinthians, in the second letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, he said, once you become a follower of Jesus, you walk differently. Can I just reemphasize that today? One of the signs, one of the um, evidences that you have had a genuine conversion, that you have truly turned. You know, the word repentance, when you are saved, when you become a Christian, you repent of your sins. That is a military term that means about face, that you turn away from your old life and you turn fully toward Jesus Christ in your new life. And Paul makes that clear to the Ephesians. He says, you walk one way before you know him, you walk a different way after you come to know him. So it's really important today that you realize that even though you might be a baby Christian, you might be a really, really young Christian, you might not know very much about the Bible, still your life, your behavior your reactions, how you behave, how you live your life, your conversation, your lifestyle is going to become immediately different after you become a Christian. A lot of people think that um, they can make an intellectual decision, that they believe in Christ and they believe in the cross and they believe in the resurrection, but they never make a heart decision. The way you, when you make a heart decision that you're going to follow Christ and give your life to Christ, listen, your lifestyle is going to change. The way you live your life is going to change. And that's very, very important for us to note. So in this series, we're simply challenging you to consider what the next step is in your spiritual journey. Just a reminder of also something we said last week. God says, if you will take one step toward me, I'll take a step toward you. That is a 100% return on your investment when you take a step toward God. God, in turn, takes one step toward you. That is in James chapter 4 and verse 8. So what we want you to do in this series is we want you to discover your next step toward God, and then we want you to be bold and take that step. Here's what we're going to talk about today, as I've already mentioned. We're going to talk specifically about two stages in the Christian life. Number one, before you come to know Christ coming to know him, accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, step one, or stage one, rather, stage one. 
And then stage two, what do I do immediately after becoming a follower of Jesus? What are my next steps? It's a great celebration day. It's a wonderful day. You have a new joy. You have a new life. You have a completeness that you've never known before. But now what? What do I do after I commit my life to Jesus Christ? So we're going to talk about those two things in this message today. So let's talk about stage one. How do I become a true Christian. Now, let me make something clear. Um, when you hear uh, that uh, such and such percent of the world is Christian, you hear that on the news, you know, they'll say, you know, 70% or 60%. Ladies and gentlemen, please understand that the world's definition of Christian and the Bible definition of Christian are not the same. They are not the same. So I'm talking today about the Bible definition of being a Christian, the Bible definition, which means that you've committed your life to Christ, you've believed on the gospel, you've committed your life to Christ, you're living your life for the glory of God. So how do I become a follower? How do I become a disciple of Jesus Christ? Last week we read in Acts chapter 2 verse 41 that the first Christians became true disciples of Jesus Christ. It's in the scripture we read last week. And here's what the Bible says they did. They accepted into their lives personally the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. They welcomed, they accepted the gospel for them personally. And that is when a person is converted. That is when a person makes that about face in their life and becomes a genuine follower of Jesus. There, listen, there are a lot of people today, guys, and it is one of the greatest fears that I have as a pastor, if I can just really be honest. There are a lot of people today who think they can say certain words and say the sinner's prayer, and they are a Christian, but there's more to it than, than that. Becoming a Christian is not abracadabra. You know, if you say abracadabra to the magician, something's supposed to happen. A lot of people think that's the way the sinner's prayer is. If you can get an unbeliever to pray the sinner's prayer and say certain words, then they become a Christian. That is so, so dangerous because a lot of times all that is is an intellectual saying of words and the person is not truly converted. Am I making sense to you here? So it's important, it's really important for me, that you understand that as the senior pastor who represents the entire leadership team of this church and the elders and the, and the volunteers and the ministry director leaders, we want you to have a genuine experience. We do not want you to have some intellectual stating of words or intellectual decision, which is certainly a part of it, but it's not all of it. And then when you stand before God, God looks in the book of life and your name's not there. We want your name to be there. So we're going to preach here, and it's not complicated. It's very simple, but it's important that you understand it is possible to think you have had a conversion when you really haven't. Now, I'm not trying to get you to doubt your relationship with Jesus today. If you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior, don't doubt that. Uh, but I do want you to understand that it is much deeper than many people uh, communicate or cause uh, others to think. Does that make sense? So let's talk about that a little bit today. Let's begin by defining the gospel. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
Here's the gospel. The gospel is that God the Father provided the way for us, man, humans, men and women, boys and girls, to be freed from the penalty of sin. Now, there is a penalty for sin, and the only way that penalty can be paid, the only way that debt for your sin can be paid is through the death of Jesus on the cross. It is not Jesus plus you or plus something you do, but it is only his death on the cross that pays for your sin and your acceptance of that death on the cross as full payment for your sin. Let's read a scripture And uh, it's going to come up on the screen here. John 14 and 6. I'm reading out of the Amplified Bible today. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the, and the, no one comes to the Father. What happened in Adam in in the Garden of Eden? uh, Here's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Here's a little joke for y'all to tell people. Just look at people and go, what happened in the Garden of Eden? And when they say, uh, well, I'm not sure, they give you some answer, just look at them and go, no, they raised Cain. They raised Cain in the Garden of Eden. So some of y'all get that going home after you study your Bible more. Okay? So, So what happened in the Garden of Eden was sin, man and God were like this. Man sinned, and now man and God are like this. And there's a great gulf between God and man, and that great gulf is what? Sin. It's sin. So what gets us and God back together? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the bridge. That would be a great name for a church. Is the bridge from man back to God. Listen to me. I know this is narrow-minded. I know the world doesn't like this. But there's no other way back to God except the bridge that is the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the only way you can get back with God. And look, listen, can I make it plain? you got to get back with God if you're planning on going to heaven. All right. So Jesus said, you want to get back to the Father? Who wants to get back to the Father? Then I am the, I am the, and I am the. No one comes to the Father. Boom. You say, but... I want about other religions. They're wrong. Any religion, any religious system, any system of belief that says that's one way, he didn't say I'm one way. He said I'm. And I know the world says, no, you can't say that. That's too narrow-minded. Well, the Bible also says the way to heaven is narrow and the way that leads to hell and destruction is you know why because there aren't going to be many people on the narrow one and there are going to be a whole lot of people on the wide one who wants to be on the narrow road i want to be on the narrow road jesus says you want to be on the narrow road that leads to eternal life in heaven i'm the way i'm the way i'm not one truth or a truth i'm the truth I'm not one of the ways you can get life. I'm not one way to eternal life. I am. I know that's narrow-minded, but I'm going to tell you something right now. If you are going to come to this church, you can get ready. That right there is what's going to be preached in this church. That right there. You said, well, that's offensive to me. I know. Jesus said it would be. 
Jesus said you wouldn't like it. He told us. He told us that you wanted a whole bunch of ways to heaven and you wanted to pick the way you want to go. He said, no, it isn't going to be like that and you're not going to like it. He said, the word of God is offensive. Jesus said, I haven't come to bring people together. I've come to divide. How many of you know that teaching right there divides people? It divides people. But the people who choose that way are all what? United. And the people said, so God, the gospel is that God provided the way for man to be freed from the penalty of sin. Look at Romans 6, 23. For the wages which sin pays is death. Now, Jesus just told us in the other verse, he's the way out of sin. But if you stay in sin, you're going to experience eternal death. But the bountiful free gift of God is what? And how does that come? But there are a lot of other ways, right? I mean, because it would have put that in there, wouldn't it, if there had been a lot of other ways? No, it says the bountiful free gift of God is eternal life through in union with not other options, one option, Jesus Christ our Lord. You say, man, I want to go to Florida, but I, I just, the way I choose is Interstate 40 because I, I want to be able to choose what I want to choose. Well, you can take Interstate 40, but you ain't going to Florida. Now, that's terrible English, but awesome preaching. All right, let's go back. That God provided, the, this is the definition of the gospel, that God provided the way for man to be freed from the penalty of sin, John 14, 6, Romans 6, 23. And only those, only those who place their faith in Jesus Christ will escape the penalty of sin, which is eternal death in hell. Now, I know we don't preach on hell anymore. And I know preachers don't talk about hell anymore, but we do. You know why we talk about hell here at the bridge? Because we want to give you some. No, wait, wait. We, want to, we preach on hell here at the bridge because Jesus talked about it. Jesus talked about hell more than any other prophet, any other preacher, anybody else in the Bible. Jesus talked about it. We're going to talk about what Jesus talked about if you come up in this house right here. Okay? All right. I didn't know I was going to be this frisky this morning when I got here. All right, so, so you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you escape the penalty of sin, which is eternal death and hell, and you get to go to heaven when you die. Let's read Acts 4, 11, and 12. Now, those of you who are sitting here and you're going, I'm really struggling with this, man. I'm really struggling with what this guy's saying. Hang in there with me. Because our basis, everything we're going to teach you, everything we're going to preach to you is from the Scriptures. Because we believe the Scriptures is what God said. And so we're going to look at the scripture. So let's look at Acts 4 and 12. Peter and John are preaching. And the Bible says that this Jesus is the capital S, is the stone which was despised and rejected by you. He's talking to the very people that crucified Jesus and buried him. He's preaching to them. Now, Peter's been filled with the Holy Spirit here, so he is not a weakling anymore. He is bold and powerful under the anointing and the power of Almighty God. Y'all with me? And so he's preaching. He says, this Jesus is the stone which was despised and rejected by you. The builders, you were the builders of the temple. He's talking about the temple and tying it all in there. But 
but which has, or Jesus has, become the head of the corner, the cornerstone. So the cornerstone is that first stone they would put in the ground to build this huge building. Everything would be built off that cornerstone. And that's a great study right there. So it's saying Jesus is the basis for everything. He is the foundation for everything. And then he goes on. Man, this verse right here is it, verse 12. And there is salvation in and through. That's pretty narrow-minded, isn't it? No one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men. No matter, he's saying right there, you, all these people saying you can, get, you can come to Jesus this way or you can come to God this way. He's saying, I'm telling you, no other name men come up with no other, no other, no other, no other name. There's no other name. No other name given among men is going to save you, but what name? The name of Jesus, by and which, by and in which we, what, must be saved. And I told you last week, the lady got mad at me and said, why do you keep saying you must be saved? You must be saved. You must be saved. And I told her one simple reason, because you must be saved. That's the only reason I say it. So, here's the questions you have to answer. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a true Christian, if you want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, here's some questions you've got to answer for yourself. Do I want to become a follower of Jesus? You've got to decide that first. Do I really want to become a follower of Jesus? Do I want to do it today or do I want to just keep putting it off? I hope you want to do it today. Do I want to become a Christian not the way CBS News defines it, not the way the Gallup poll people would define it, but do I, am I ready to become a Christian the way God says a Christian is, the, de the definition God gives of a Christian? Am I ready to take my first step? Am I ready to uh, become a disciple of Jesus Christ? And the first step in becoming a follower, a disciple, another word is a learner, a devoted learner of Jesus Christ. If I want to become a disciple, then I've got to believe. That's my first step. I've got to believe and receive. I've got to believe the gospel and receive it for myself and set myself with, under the power of God to live the rest of my days for Jesus, not for myself. So you've got to answer that. Am I ready to be adopted? The book of Romans says that we are orphans until we allow God to adopt us into his family through the person of Jesus Christ. So if your answer is yes to these questions, then there are a few more questions that you need to say yes to, but these are the ones that get you started. So let's look at some other questions. Do I believe that I'm in need of salvation? See, if you don't think you need to be saved, then guess what? You're never going to be. Do I believe I need the salvation? Do I believe that, that I need the salvation only Jesus can provide? Or do I think I can get it from a lot of different places? you got to answer that. Do I fully trust in the death of Jesus on the cross as sufficient sacrifice paid for my sins? Do I fully believe that Jesus rose from the dead to provide eternal life for those who believe on him? Do I believe that? you got to say yes to that. Do I right now in this service completely rely on him alone as my Savior? And am I willing to humble myself before him as my Lord and Master? A lot of people want a ticket to heaven, but they don't want to give him 
uh, the place of lordship in their life. Can I just say this to you? If you're not interested in him being Lord, he's not interested in being your Savior. He wants you to live your life for him. And the people said, so if you say yes to all these from your heart, from your inner man, the Bible talks about the inner man. When you say it from your inner man, from the depths of your heart, and you answer these questions yes, then you have received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I'm going to say something very controversial right here. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it require us to pray to be saved. The only thing the Bible says that we have to do to be saved is believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ and receive that work for our own lives. Now, it doesn't mean you can't put prayer in with your becoming a Christian. You certainly can make prayer a part of it. If you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you believe it's true, if you have accepted the free gift of salvation through the person and work of Jesus Christ, then it's appropriate to express that faith in a prayer to God. See, that's why I said it's so dangerous if you say to people, if you pray this prayer, you'll be a Christian. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, if you pray a certain prayer, you'll be a Christian. The Bible says it's what you believe, it's who you trust for your salvation, for the forgiveness of your sin, for the reconnection of you as a human back to God that was lost in the Garden of Eden. Who's with me out there? So that's what we're talking about. So here's some things you can pray when you've decided to become a follower of Jesus. Here's some things you can pray. Now, this prayer isn't going to save you, but these are some things that you can pray when you have decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. I believe in the cross, the resurrection. I believe Jesus is who he said he was. I believe he's the only way. And now I want that to be my way. I want to join up with you. You know what? Here's a, here's a really good picture right here. Here's what it means to become a Christian. You and your sin are over here, and you're against God. The day you are saved, you decide that you're going to part ways with your sin, and you're going to come over here and join Jesus against your sin. That's salvation. That's true repentance. When you and your sin, who were buddies and pals, you part ways, and you come over here where Jesus is, and you become his elder brother, you become a child of God the Father, and now you are against your sin. Does that make sense? That brings some clarity right there, doesn't it? Listen to this, these prayers. You, you can say things like, thank you, God, for giving your son Jesus as payment for my sins. I praise you and worship you today as my new sovereign king. Thank you, Jesus, for willingly dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead and providing eternal life for me, eternal salvation. I commit my entire life to you. I'll live for you from this point on. With your help, I'll live every day of the rest of my life for you, for your glory, and I will obey your word with your help. Please guide every step of my life as I commit myself to a daily pursuit of an ever-deepening relationship with you. When I am tempted to sin, I trust you for strength to overcome. When I give in to tempt, not if I'm tempted, but when. You're going to get tempted. You're going to get tempted. And then you need to pray when I give in to temptation and sin, not if you sin, but because you're going to sin. Some of y'all took care of that before we got to church this morning. I love that little nervous laugh y'all gave me right there. You were on your way to church, actually, when you did it. Because y'all got kids. 
And you threatened their lives on the way here today. And then when you got out of your car and one of the parking lot people went, good morning, you went, oh, praise the Lord, good morning. I know how it is. So when I give in to temptation and commit sin, I will come to you for cleansing, Lord. When I commit sin, doesn't mean I'm not your child. Have your children ever messed up? And you looked at them and went, you are not my child anymore. You say, yes, I have. I know, but you didn't really believe that. <laughs> but a lot of people teach that, that. If you mess up, you're not God's child until you repent. No, you're still his child, but you do need to repent. So you come to him and you say, Lord, I've committed sin, and uh, I come to you for cleansing from that sin. And I come to you also not only for cleansing, but give me strength over that temptation because evidently that's an area in my life that, that needs some help, and so I pray for strength that I won't give in to that anymore, and I'll live in victory over it. And then another thing you can pray is, Lord, I know that you've placed within me spiritual giftings, and I will pursue an awareness of those gifts, and I will use them to serve you and others in building your kingdom on this earth. So stage one is becoming a Christian, and there are just some facts we needed to lay out there. We've done it many, many times. Uh, in my preaching over the 25 years I've been your pastor, we have said these things many, many times, but maybe not in a concise nutshell like that. So I wanted to do that, get it on tape, so that you can share this with somebody who is seeking or somebody you're talking to about the Lord. Let's look at stage two. Now, once I become a Christian, the next stage of my life is what do I do next? What is my next thing I do right after I commit my life to Jesus Christ? Because I'm going to tell you, the church is notorious for birthing babies and leaving them in the crib. We're notorious for birthing babies, having a big celebration, and going, good luck, little baby, you know. We would never do that to a real baby, a real little child, would we? What do we have to do? Take care of them, nurture them, you know, and once they're born, they never mess up their diaper. They never cry. They never spit up. And we act like that new Christians are going to act just like we act. Let's hope not. Amen. Let's hope not. But we, we, we have this idea that, hey, you're a Christian, so, you know, hey, they need nurture. They need love. So let's talk about some steps. First of all, let me just uh, reiterate that when you trust Jesus as your personal Savior and um, salvation from your sin, when you trust him for that, you've just experienced the beginning of your new eternal life, John 3.16, John 10.10. Your sins have been forgiven and you're now given a fresh start, Romans 4.7. You have been given an inexpressible, glorious joy, 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. So here's step one, and this is going to be profound. But this is what you need to do right after you become a Christian. Start growing. That's not, you say, well, we already knew that. I know, do it. We know a lot of things we're not doing. We got to start growing. We got to get our roots down. Uh, Jane, uh, Jeremiah, and just write this down because I didn't know I was going to mention this scripture. Jeremiah chapter seventeen, verses one through four or five, right in there. Maybe, maybe even more of that chapter. It talks about getting your roots down so that when storms come and drought comes, you'll still be able to bear fruit. Amen. Y'all with me? So we got to get our roots down. Nothing. Listen to this now. Nothing will advance the depth of any relationship more than communication. You want a better marriage? Communicate more. 
You want a better uh, relationship with a friend. You want a better relationship with your parents. You want a better relationship with your siblings. Whoever you want a better relationship with, honest, loving communication is the best thing you can do to make a relationship better. Uh, you have to communicate. You have to have conversation. So when you read your Bible, God's talking to you. Everybody say this with me. When I read my Bible, God's talking to me. When I pray, I'm talking to God. That is called a conversation. Okay? So that's how you get to know God. Read his Bible. He's talking to you. Pray. You're talking to him. I'm telling you, there is nothing that will deepen your relationship with God any quicker than you reading the Bible and pausing to pray about what you just read. Even if your prayer is, God, I have no idea what that means. Look, I am your pastor. I've been saved since I was seven. I've been a preacher since I was 17. I say that to God all the time, especially if I'm reading Romans. <laughs> what does that mean, God? You know, some stuff in the Bible is just always going to be kind of a mystery. And then when we get to heaven, God's going to go, everybody gather around right here. I'm going to tell you about Book of Romans. I'm going to tell you all that stuff. Because what does it say in Corinthians? We see through a glass darkly, like a glass that's dirty. We can't see everything real clear right now. There's some things we're not going to know till we get there. Till we get there. And you know what? He really doesn't have any obligation to show it to us when we get there. How many of you know God doesn't owe us anything? That's one of the best things I've said today. So let's talk about reading the Bible. There are many translations, paraphrases, numerous Bible studies, tons of places to start getting down in your Bible. And i got to say this, and this is going to mess up some people, but there are no perfect translations of the Bible, including the King James Version. There are no perfect translations of the Bible. Men translated the Bible, Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek. They translated it into English, and men are fallible. Now, I don't believe that the translations uh, um, uh, compromise the truth. I think you can read the King James Version and get the truth. I think you can read the New Living Translation and get the truth. I think you can read these things and get the truth. But don't just read them, study them, get down deeper, find out other things God was saying. And there's so many tools out there to get deeper in the scriptures. But here's what you need to do to begin with, just read. And if you're a new Christian, read the book of John. You say, I don't even know where to start. I think I'll start in Revelation. No. <laughs> You'll be calling me going, what does the third toe on the dragon mean? I don't know. <laughs> Mitchell knows, I don't know. That doesn't matter at that point in your Christian life. So, so uh, the Bridge Leadership Team recommends that you choose a Bible. Two things when you're choosing a Bible. One that's easy to understand and one that is faithful to the original text, the Greek and the Hebrew. Amen? That's simple. I mean, there are people that will get mad about the King James, and here's what you always say to them. And I love the King James Version. Most of the Bibles I own are King James Version. I want to make sure of that. So if Jesus comes, I go to heaven. But people say, I tell you, the King James only. King James. And I know I'm probably some people that are online turning me off right now, but that's all right. Isn't it amazing that they don't believe in a paraphrase of the Scripture but they will read to you out of the King James, a preacher will, and then say, now let me tell you what that means. 
If the King James Version is all we need, why don't we just get up and read out of the King James Version and go, let's all be dismissed. And you look at me and go, thou pastor, I will yeath be dismissed right now. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Jesus didn't say verily, verily. It's like the woman named all her children after people in the Bible and Jacob was one of her sons and Joshua was the other one and Ruth and Esther were the, her daughters and V. Riley. And the guy said, V. Riley, where's that in the Bible? She said, Jesus said. And evidently he was a hard-headed kid because Jesus said, V. Riley, V. Riley, I say unto you. <laughs> Some of y'all get that one later too. <laughs> verily, verily, I say unto you, you know. Now some other people are laughing. Okay. <laughs> Do y'all understand what I'm saying? Please don't get hung up on stuff that makes you a Pharisee and makes you a legalist. Don't do that. Everybody's worried about liberalism, and I am too. That's why I'm preaching like I am today, because liberalism says you don't need any of this. But legalism creates rules that God didn't create. And when you start trying to obey rules God didn't create, you're going to put yourself in a bind, and I've got to hurry because I don't have much more time. All right. So check out the various translations, paraphrases of the Bible. Let me give you two websites, BibleGateway.com. Don't buy any Bibles yet. Don't buy any yet. Go to these two websites and check out the different versions and the different paraphrases until you find one that you feel comfortable with. BibleGateway.com and uversion.com. Aren't they two good ones? Now, you probably know of more of them, and there are some other ones that are excellent. These are just two. Read the Gospel of John or one of the other Gospels. If you're a new Christian, read the Gospel of John first. Read it in a, a Bible. You can understand it. Or read one of the other uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And, and here's why we recommend that here at the bridge, because you'll be reading what Jesus did and what he said. And really, that's one of the greatest things you can do in the early days of your Christian life. Here's another website if you have a question about the Bible. Gotquestions.org. Who knows about that? Gotquestions.org is probably the best website available if you just got any question about the Bible that you don't understand, any passage that you don't understand. Just go to that website and type your question in, and every link connected to that question will come up. Now, you're never going to find a church. You're never going to find a denomination. You're never going to find a website where you agree with every little single thing they say. So if you're going to rule out every teacher, every church, every website that you don't agree with every little minute thing they say, you're not going to be reading anything. Sometimes I disagree with me. I look back at some stuff I preached 40 years ago, and I go, how'd I get that? Isn't it amazing how God takes stupid preachers and helps people hear stuff that won't kill them? <laughs> First sermon I preached, I said that uh, Eli was Samuel's father. And, uh, you know, somebody just made a big deal about that and came up to me. I was probably 18 years old, 17, 18 years old, and it was just devastating the way they handled that and talked to me about that. I'd never been to, I didn't know. Uh, just it, when I read it, it looked like he was his father. He was the priest, but he wasn't. You know, Eli was the priest. Samuel wasn't the, wasn't the son. He was Hannah's son. And uh, so we're going to mess up. But don't freak out over insignificant things that don't really matter. 
in the long run. Now, if somebody's on there saying Jesus is one way, but we believe there are many other ways, you don't need to go back to that website. Am I making sense? All right. So the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of God. Now let's talk about praying. Prayer is simply talking to God. Many people believe that prayer must include a formal set of words that can only take place during a church service. There are a lot of churches that teach that, and it can't be that way. The Bible teaches us to pray without ceasing. You say, how in the world can I do that? That simply means to have an awareness of God, have a 24-7 awareness and consciousness of God that He's always there. You do not have to pray in the King James Version. A lot of people think they can't even come to God because God's real picky about how you pray and how you put words together, and God's real picky about you better have all your doctrinal stuff right because if you pray for something and it don't line up theologically and it don't let me tell you what God looks at when you pray. He don't even listen to your words. He looks at your heart. He looks at your heart. God, you, you know you've prayed for things you're glad God didn't answer. Remember the story, you see an old girlfriend that you prayed God would give you. You saw her 40 years later and you were like, thank God for unanswered prayer. <laughs> Amen. Thank Garth Brooks for that great gospel song. Um, so so you, when you pray, uh, you're talking to God. If you want to be deeper with God, you've got, to consistent, you've got to communicate with God more consistently. The more you pray, the deeper you're going to be with God. But don't make prayer legalism. Don't say, oh, if I miss prayer today, oh, I'm such a heathen. I'm so, I mean, you may be, but it's not because you didn't pray that day. Okay, don't make prayer a legalism. Pray, but don't make it something that is a, a burden around your neck. I'm driving tonight to a church in Clinton to um, speak to them, and I'm looking forward to that, and I'm probably going to pray all the way there. I'm not going to close my eyes or bow my head, but I'm going to pray. i got to tell you, most of my driving looks like I have my head bowed and my eyes closed. For instructions and ideas on how to pray, go to the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, and you'll find it there. Um, uh, Fresh Start is a program we have here at the church. You need to go online and check that out. Fresh Start, a four-week Bible study for new believers. And the next one starts May the 3rd. Not going to talk about that anymore. All right? You need to go to Connections. We have Connections here at the church. Pastor Andy was talking about some things today. Go to the website, click on Next Steps, and read everything under it. Because we're right there telling you what to do next. Don't sit around whining that you don't know what to do. It's not our responsibility to just take you by the hand and lead you everywhere. Come on, take some personal responsibility. i got a new walk in Jesus. What do I need to do? Not what does the church need to do for me. But what do I need to do to grow in my relationship with God? And we will tell you if you need some help from us, it's right there on the website, Next Steps. Click on it and read it. The next thing you need to do if you're a new Christian is get baptized. You need to be baptized. Baptism symbolizes your new life in Jesus and that you're now committed to Jesus. You're letting the world know Jesus was baptized in Luke 3, 1 through 22. And Jesus also calls on his followers to be baptized. In the early church, there were baptisms of everyone who accepted Christ. And you can read about that in Acts 2, 41. Click on Next Steps to find out about baptism. The next one is you need to join a life group. Join a life group. 
The Christian life is designed to be enjoyed with other people. Jesus invested much of his ministry with 12 disciples as his closest allies. And he calls us to live in community with one another. There are over 50 commands that say one another just in the New Testament. Love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, and pray for one another. You can't even obey these commands if you're not in relationship with other Christians. You can't even obey those. So we know God wants us doing life with other Christians. Facilitating fellowship with other believers is one of the main purposes of the local church. So go to Next Steps. Click on it. Life Groups pops up. Click on that. Read all about it. If on the home page of our website, if you go all the way to the bottom, you're going to find some rotating banners at the bottom of our website. Group link will come up. Just click on group link. It'll tell you all about group link, when the next one is, and that's how you get involved in a life group. Number four, you need to start serving other people. Now look, you say, oh, that's you just trying to get volunteers. Now, no, you don't, don't serve here then, but serve somebody. When you're a Christian, you're going to have a new love in you, and that love is going to compel you to bless somebody. I'm going to tell you something. A person tells me I got saved and you can't get them to serve, I doubt they got saved. Because when you get saved, you're going to want to serve. You're going to want to be a blessing. You're going to want to touch other people. The Holy Spirit will lead you in ways you can serve, the Spirit will call you to different areas. First John 3, 17 through 18, you might serve the poor in your community, help somebody with an umbrella on a rainy day in our parking lot. Uh, you might assist a neighbor that doesn't even have anything to do with the church. You just know about a neighbor down the street who's going through some stuff, so you go down there and mow their grass or do something for them. Maybe you join Pastor Andy's care team and you serve the sick in the hospital. Maybe that's your gift. Maybe you're gifted in singing up here. Maybe it's by the bedside of somebody who's about to leave this world and you're holding their hand saying, saying that they're not alone and we're right here and we're praying for you. Maybe that's your ministry. I got to tell you, say, well, well, there's not much glory in that. No, there's not. But you know what the Bible says? The first will be last up there and the last down here will be first up there. I'm not real sure what that means, but I got a sneaky feeling that people who serve behind the, behind the scenes are going to get the big stage up there. Amen? So quit worrying about that and just serve. Be a blessing. Click on Next Steps. Click on Serve. Find out what Discovery is. Pastor Andy talked about that before the service, but go on our website and, uh, again, click on Next Steps. Now, if you don't do computer then just call the church or go out here to the Connect Center and ask them. They'll help you. There's a lot of ways. So your final step, if you're a new Christian, is tell somebody. Tell somebody what little Jesus has done for you. That's a good major final step when you become a Christian. The more you share what Jesus has done for you, the stronger you will become as a Christian. Let's all stand together today. And let me just share this last little bit with you. Being a Christian... It's not a secret. It is a celebration. Everybody pay attention now. I'm going to preach a long time with y'all standing up. Being a Christian is not a secret. Don't make it a secret, man. Tell it. Look, you don't have, when I say tell it, I don't mean you go to somebody and go, hey, listen, you need to, you need to, you need to. Don't start off with what they need to do. Just tell them what you did. Don't get all preachy. I'll take care of that. You just share what he's done for you. Tell all who will listen about Christ's work in your life. In some cases, 
other people will come to Jesus because you shared your story. And we got a place on the website under the amen corner at the top of the website. You put your prayer request in there and you tell your story under the amen corner. You might not have known what that was. It's prayer request and testimonies. Just before Jesus ascended to heaven, he commanded his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 18, I'm sorry, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Today, Christians are still called to share the hope within us with others. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Now, what I've shared with you in this message are simply helpful tips on how to grow in your faith. Not rules. These aren't rules I've given you today. Don't make legalisms out of these things. I'm just telling you these are the things that if you will make them a part of your lifestyle, your roots will go deep. And when the storms come, and when the famines come, and when the trouble comes, you will stand. And there is no more powerful testimony than a mighty Christian whose roots are down and the storms of life come against them, but they continue to bear fruit. Nothing testifies of the power of God more than that. So get your roots down. Grow in Him. Ephesians 2 8 and 9, the Bible says in Philippians 1 and 6 that God has started a work in you and he promises he will finish it. So find your next step and take it.